Hi, my name is Pete Redden, and welcome to The Way I Taught It, Next Level Aviation Knowledge and Microbursts. This episode is brought to you by Vapor Global Aviation, creating tomorrow's pilots today. Look them up on Facebook and LinkedIn, Vapor Global Aviation. Happy New Year. Welcome to the year 2021. If you really think about it, 2021 is full of historic possibility, not only in the field of aviation, but across all career fields. Get out there and get after it. And thank you to all the frontline workers out there keeping us safe, healthy, and fed. So here is Episode 7, Emergencies. The first thing that shoots through my head, maintain aircraft control. Next, analyze the situation. Number 4, fire light illuminated. High ITT on the number 4. I take a deep breath and look out the window at the number 4 engine, and I see fire. Take the appropriate actions. Land as soon as conditions permit. This mantra is the core principle that every U.S. Air Force pilot follows when an in-flight emergency occurs. During training, students are meant to practice this while standing at attention during the emergency procedure of the day. They recite maintain aircraft control, analyze the situation, take appropriate actions, and land as soon as conditions permit. It's recited by every student pilot prior prior to taking simulated action in the aircraft. If the slightest stumble occurs by the student, whether verbally or mentally, a grade of unsatisfactory is assigned to the student record and the student is grounded until remediation can occur. Elimination from training occurs if this student unsats three times in a row. Do you as a student pilot or flight instructor take your emergency training this seriously? Think about it. Three strikes and you're out from United States Air Force pilot training. All because you might have stuttered, all because you might have recited the wrong information at the wrong time, or possibly just because you took the wrong action at the wrong time. Three strikes and you're out. Pretty tough stuff. As I've traveled the country generating scenarios involving simulated emergencies, whether in the airplane or across the tabletop on the ground, I've noticed a few broad weaknesses across the board. I hope this podcast inspires you to revisit how you train for emergency procedures. Step number one, maintain aircraft control. All too often, a pilot is faced with an emergency forgets this significant and monumental step, fly the airplane. We must maintain airspeed heading and altitude if possible. We need to take a breath, or what we used to call wind the watch, back when we had watches that you had to wind the spring in. Take a moment to absorb the situation and control the urge to panic. Remember, as humans, we have the ability to control our reaction to stimuli. So between a stimulus and how we react, we can control that time in between. And we need to train as pilots, especially, to control that time. If you have an autopilot, use it if it is applicable. Set the tachometer to a known power setting for the flight regime you are currently in. Climb away from the ground if you're too low to work the problem. Maybe a descent is in order out of IMC into VMC. Maybe it's opening up the fresh air vents to get oxygen into the cockpit before taking any other emergency step when it comes to a physiological incident. If the pilot doesn't have oxygen, oxygen, the pilot doesn't work. If the pilot doesn't work, the plane's not going to work. Whatever it is, make this your first step. Maintain aircraft control. Don't worry. The emergency will still be there when you get to it. Next, analyze the situation. 
Don't jump to conclusions, especially on a simulated emergency on the ground during training. This is the time to recall your firm foundation of systems knowledge and emergency procedures knowledge. Here is where we are usually weak. Emergency procedures knowledge is more than a checklist. You must get into your POH or AFM section 3 and read every paragraph in that section before you ever experience a real emergency in your aircraft. Normally, it will provide amplified procedures for emergencies and provide key troubleshooting knowledge to know if you have an emergency or not. One of the best examples I can think of is under oil system malfunction. If you just run the basic checklist in most aircraft without knowing the amplified procedures, you may be landing a perfectly good airplane in a field for no reason. You may also be shutting down a perfectly good engine for no good reason. You have to do some troubleshooting per most POH and AFMs. If your oil pressure gauge reads zero, it could be an oil system malfunction or it could be a gauge malfunction. The POH or AFM for your specific aircraft will tell you what to look for to, to determine what's going on. This applies to any and every emergency listed in your POH or AFM. Now, I will add that if your POH or AFM is for an older aircraft, it may not be as expanded as newer aircraft are. So what you'll need to do is get into the airplane flying manual or the pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge and read about systems and how they work and some issues that you can run across uh, in the AFM or, or while you're flying the airplane that are covered in the, P, the PHAC or the airplane flying manual. They have sections on systems and they both have sections on emergencies. Analyze the situation is about gathering information to make the most informed decision you can. Are there circuit breakers popped? Is there smoke? Where is it? Is it outside the airplane or inside the airplane? What do all the other engine indications look like? Do not rush, but balance the time you have with the given situation to determine the appropriate path to take. Once you determine what your emergency is, take the appropriate action. Here's where we begin to turn towards our airfield, run checklists, make radio calls, and possibly squawk 7700. Now that we have all or most of the information at hand for our current condition, Run any required memory items first and then get out the checklist. Let me repeat that. Run any required memory items first, then get out the checklist. I have witnessed my fair share of students complete an emergency scenario without ever referencing a checklist. Checklist usage is one of the emphasis items on a practical exam. Let's quickly talk about checklists. Your flight school may have its own checklist that, that it wants you to use, and that is just fine. It's, it's great and it's acceptable. Just make sure to compare it to the POH or AFM checklist for completeness concerning the expanded procedures. Also remember that one checklist can lead to another. For example, a poor running engine can drive you to the engine roughness in flight checklist, which may drive you to the engine shutdown in flight checklist, which leads to the engine failure checklist, which leads you to either an air, off airport landing in a single engine aircraft or in a multi-engine uh, aircraft to a single engine approach and landing checklist. So again, know that one checklist leads to another, to another, to another. So when you're practicing, you're not just reading or studying one checklist, but you're, you're understanding that that checklist may lead to another, may lead to another, may lead to another. Now in the United States Air Force, when I flew aircraft uh, as an Air Force pilot, our checklist actually at the end of every checklist 
it recommended other checklists to go use. So it was a reminder to the pilot to go, hey, when you finish this checklist, you may need to go to this checklist. And that's something very easily written in to your checklists that you have to say, hey, if I run this checklist, I may want to run this one next and next and next and next and so forth down the line. It's just as simple as an abort. Well, if, if you stop the airplane on the runway because you had some problem, now you have to decide, you know, can I taxi clear or do I have to egress on the runway? Well, the way you would determine that is, is the plane on fire? Is the engine on fire? Well, if the engine is on fire, well, now you have to do an engine shutdown checklist. Now that you've done the engine shutdown checklist, you need to egress the aircraft in a efficient manner, which means you got to shut down the whole aircraft and you have to run an egress checklist. So there's a lot of things going on there, um, even though it's just an abort. You may have to run three checklists. Again, reference your specific POH or AFM and look to see how the checklist may tie together in a drawn-out emergency. Oh, by the way, you still have to run all your normal checklists as well while you're running the emergency checklist. So you got to think about climb check, cruise check, descent check, pre-landing check, before landing check, uh, gumps, all of those checklists that your uh, flight instructor taught you uh, during your training. Now we move on to land as soon as conditions permit. Well, you're almost there, almost safely on the ground. Ensure that you follow all the expanded procedures for the landing that you are about to accomplish. Small details can make the difference between walking away from a reusable aircraft or limping away from an unusable aircraft or worse. One last word, don't rush. Yes, time is of the essence with some critical emergencies but you cannot rush the procedures or jump to conclusions. This will only force more time to be taken to correct errors made early on in the scenario, driving a more detrimental outcome. Now, one more word. When we talk about flying the aircraft in a pressure situation, I use the mantra, do one thing, fly the airplane. My scan is constantly going from doing one thing on the checklist to doing to going back and flying the airplane, whatever flying the airplane is in that scenario. Let me give you a for instance. If I'm gonna tune a radio, I'm gonna look up and I'm gonna switch the comm panel to the radio that I wanna talk on, and then I'm gonna go back to flying the airplane. Then I'm gonna look up and I'm gonna grab the large inner knob and I'm gonna tune the first part of the frequency for that uh, radio call I'm about to make, and then I go back to flying the aircraft. Then I go back to the radio and I tune the smaller inner knob to the rest of the frequency that I'm going to use. And then I go back to flying the aircraft. And then I go back to the radio. I hit the flip-flop switch to make it the inactive and active frequency. Then I go back to flying the aircraft. And then, and only then, do I key the mic to talk on the radio. So if you chair fly that, if you practice that at home, it will become second nature to you and you won't find yourself in a 30 degree descending left bank after running 10 items on a checklist and you finally come back to uh, flying the airplane. So I hope this discussion helped you today. Uh, I look forward to your feedback, whether it's uh, on my website, on Facebook for Vapor Global Aviation or uh, on LinkedIn. Please leave a little note. Uh, if you have some feedback, I'd love to hear from you. We also have uh, a Facebook page called CFI Jobs Page where we are trying to create a network of flight instructors and employers 
And we also have a uh, Facebook page that is called Student Pilots in Search of Flight Training. So if you're a student pilot, you're in search of flight training, look that up on uh, Facebook and jump into that group, that cohort. Uh, we have about 2,000 students there. We have about 2,000 instructors and employers, um, and they're all looking to get together uh, and either provide or receive flight training. Again, I'm Pete Redden, and that's another episode of The Way I Taught. Thank you for finding this podcast worthy of your inclusion of your study of aviation. Until next time, fly safe, fly smart. That's the way I taught it.